from the boardroom to the shop floor. Good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Dembele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installments of Beyond Governance. Uh, My name is Nimrod Dembele and thanks for tuning in. I'm delighted to be in your company and thanks for affording me this opportunity to share my thoughts alongside those of experts that I often bring to the studio. If you missed our last week's show, not to worry, download our podcast on it. Uh, on the interview I've had with Avril Notovich. Um She's the director at 180 Degrees Financial Services. I think she provided us a food for thought, um, which I... I would, I would love to continue, uh, co- you know, uh, continue the trajectory um, in tonight's show. But before you get into the bits and pieces of what I've installed for you, let me take this opportunity to thank Kathy, Kayla, uh, Simon, Lindy, Wu, and Zanati for spending some time with you. I sincerely hope you have thoroughly enjoyed their company like I did. As always, I'm not trying solo. I have a Tabo who is the technical producer. Um, you're welcome to share your thoughts uh, via our SMS, li- SMS line, which is 34519. Our telegram uh, is 061-895-1019. And, of course, my email address is nimrod at highdose.za. And the Twitter handle is at highfm. As an norm, it's, it's, I always find it bit of, you know, a bit interesting just to reflect on the week that was. And we've picked up uh, last week that one of the biggest asset manager, uh, Alan Gray, passed on. Um, you know, uh, he left, you know, uh, apparently, I think last week Sunday, if I'm mistaken. And, uh, we've picked up that, you know, he was a very noble individual that made a huge difference in, in, in communities. And that says to me, um, these are people that, that needs to be celebrated when they've passed on. We need to celebrate icons and heroes when they're still alive. And certainly based on the legacy, I mean, wherever you go, Ellen Gray is an international brand, not only South African brand, but international brand. We picked up that he has made such a huge contribution, particularly through um, scholarships. Um, and lot and lots of previously disadvantaged individuals have made a huge uh, stride in their lives thanks to him. The other issue that I thought it might be useful for us to pick up is the investment that is currently underway, uh, wherein the the well, through the African Investment Forum, uh, you know, hosted you know by the President of the Republic, Mr. Cyril Maposa. Uh, where he's trying to raise about 1.1.2 trillion to improve the the country's low economic growth uh, and address unemployment that sits at about 29.1 percent. Um, and and the issue for me is that in as much as the forum provide an opportunity for people to make pledges, we need to go beyond pledges. We need to see commitment to a point where we're able to address. Um, the, you know, the very staggering unemployment rate. I mean, for an example, last year, I mean, investments were, were, were estimated to be about 300 billion rands. And we, we have not really seen much difference in terms of the bottom line because we're still sitting with huge unemployment rates. So I think uh, he was quite spot on by, by, by pushing the envelope slightly further 
and quest and, and calling for investors to go beyond just commitment, I mean, uh, pledges, but commitment. And that, that, that would translate into real issues. Uh, maybe the last point in terms of reflection, as, as I was driving towards the studio, I was listening to Kathy as well as Rolin Marx as Rolin Marx was, uh, our Israeli um, uh, respondent giving a insight as to what is happening in Israel in terms of the bombs. Uh, and, and the sirens, um, it's quite terrifying that, you know, people live under these kind of, of, of conditions. I hope and, and pray that uh, normality prevail. I hope and pray that, you know, um, common sense uh, uh, will prevail very shortly so that, you know, people are able to go back to, to the lives that they're accustomed to. Tonight, um, I've got a very interesting fellow. Uh, which I'll just share with, uh, uh, with you in a, sh- in, in, in a short while. Um, his name is, is Lower Poitier. He's an MD, um, at Disruptive Lip, Lip, and he'll tell us more about where he comes from and what is it that, uh, well, he does. But, but perhaps maybe what's more important is, uh, our conversation, which is going to be crafted or underpinned by the, uh, by the fourth industrial revolution imperatives. So he's a, he's a, he's a strategist. He's a disruptor. You know, he, he's a kind of guy that, that things allowed and that really provide practical solutions. Um, he's got, um, you know, he has amassed quite a bit under his belt. I mean, for an example, he's, he has got 15 years experience at the helm of corporation and as a CEO in Africa and Europe and he has managed a turnaround uh, market entries, mergers and acquisition, and driven exponential scaling of differentiated and disruptive technology. I mean, the CV is quite long. To be honest, I don't think I'll do justice uh, if I were to go through very elaborate uh, CV. On that note, let me take this opportunity to welcome Lloyd Poitra. Good evening and welcome. Thank you, Nimrod. Um, glad to be here. Thank you very much. Um, for the listener who have just joined, and, and like I said earlier, I don't think I'll do justice to and provide a snip uh, or provide the profile. Who is Loic Poitier in a nutshell? So, yeah, I was born uh, in Belgium um, and uh, in Brussels, and um, uh, I did a bit of my uh, management studies, uh, MBA, and, and then uh, corporate uh, life uh, in, in and across Europe. And uh, more importantly, 11 years ago, I was the happy winner of a one-way ticket to South Africa, to uh, start our subsidiary for a large uh, multinational, Securitas, uh, a Swedish multinational, and and, uh, up to today the the largest security um, company in the world. And after being the leader in the U.S., in Europe, in Latin America, then we thought we'd need to develop emerging markets. And essentially, I then uh, brought my family here to Johannesburg, South Africa, we developed um, um, the local subsidiary through a set of uh, mergers, acquisitions, and organic growth. A few years later, we had um, we were in the top five, shall I say, of, of the well-established local uh, companies. And uh, that's when we understood that doing more of a commoditized market, like in in as in um, with nine thousand competitor, how do you truly, truly make a difference and achieve sustainability? And, and that's when we, we decided to take a bit of an other journey uh, towards uh, maybe trying to work not necessarily harder because we thought that wasn't going to save the day, uh, but maybe smarter to do something different. And, and uh, it's a very, very long story. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more opportunities to uh, 
to, to tell you uh, all about that. But the thought was that by doing things differently and exploring a bit tech and then, uh, and then differentiated uh, tech and exponential uh, models, um, and um, we ended up 10xing the margins in our company, uh, creating um, or, or keeping and developing 4,000 sustainable employment opportunities in South Africa. And uh, we got to that proverbial exponential stage that, that everyone talks about. Huh? And uh, thereafter, we love South Africa. We wanted to stay, uh, unlike uh, all expatriates where, where um, you would be sent from uh, four to five years uh, from country to country. We decided as a family that um, unlike a lot of South Africans, we think the grass is absolutely green here, uh, although not imperfect, but where is it? And we decided to stay here, and, and then we founded Disruptive Leap, which is a strategy advisory and investment firm. Essentially what we do, we help companies reinvent themselves, organizations reinventing themselves. Thank you very much for that elaborate insight of uh, uh, Loic Poitier, but in, 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 a, in a context of the newly found organization called Disruptive Leaf. But here's something that I want to bring uh, our listeners in, 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 in around. Um, we initially, you know, before we come on air, we, before you came on air, we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, which is something that you are quite accustomed to as a disruptor. Um, firstly, you know, the net in me says these words get thrown everywhere and it means different things to different people. Politicians have got their own views. Uh, economists have got their own views and, and basically got their own views. From where you're sitting, what does it really mean? Can you just crystallize exactly what it means so that it, 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 it forms the basis of our conversation moving forward? Yes, absolutely. I think you're, you're absolutely right, Nimrod. The fourth industrial revolution um, is a fluffy term, uh, in, in essence, like digital optimization, like disruption, like exponential. All of those terms are fairly new, and they're a little bit like the the man who's seen the man who's seen the bear. Yeah, and no one has seen it, but it's it's supposedly everywhere. So, if you want to cut the fluff out, uh, very simply, I would say that. There's a large number of exponential technologies that are creating uh, an unprecedented platform for acceleration of new business models and of disruption as in large changes and suddenly in accelerating changes. And um, if we think of the, the, uh, the earlier periods where how electricity changed and led to maybe something like the industrial revolution with, with uh, steam and, and so on and so forth, and it took a, a few decades. Uh, if we see then uh, the Internet uh, revolution, uh, it took a few years to, to really, after a few bubbles and so on, to really now becoming an extraordinarily um, uh, embedded part of our lives. What would we do without our phones, without our computers? We, we can't just imagine life. And we just have to see ourselves in a few years' time and the fourth industrial revolution, meaning uh, a number of accelerating technologies like the blockchain, the IoT, the Internet of Things, uh, the artificial intelligence, the, the machine learning, all of those now, it's like you would have the Internet as an enabling platform to like 10 to 15 exponential, as in fastly accelerating Technologies that would that would enable like fifteen internet revolutions in a in a bit of a faster speed than the internet did. So, 
in a nutshell, that's what it is. Thank you very much for that insight. But here's something that um, uh, is a bit of a mess uh, because the, the, the fourth industrial revolution, where it worked or where it potentially can work, presuppose that the, the, there's some level of uniformity in terms of infrastructure, educational level, um, the class level are not there so dis- they're not so um, disparity. Um, but South Africa is a different country. You almost have two countries in, in, in one state. You've got the advanced side of things, you've got the emerging and underdeveloped. Um, so there's merit. We take it for, we, we, we take it that there's merit for fourth industrial revolution. However, one is to bear in mind that the country, uh, has these, 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 these two, um, you know, uh, almost unequal, uh, economies. Um, how do we reconcile the two? Uh, bearing in mind that, uh, you know, we need to address issues around, you know, inequality. We need to bring about equity. To what extent do you think it is important for the country and where we are? Are we ready? So it's not about readiness for something that is yet to come. It's already there. You were talking about uh, a two-level uh, country, but very simply, look at the penetration of WhatsApp in townships. Look at the penetration of Facebook in townships. Look at the penetration uh, where there is a little bit less of a rigid um, uh, legislative environment for the, the financial sector. Look at the, the penetration of the Mpesa as a mobile mm-hmm. platform in, in Kenya, as a Mobi wallet. Uh, look at the penetration of EcoCash in, in Zimbabwe. It's actually already there. It's vastly penetrating and very fast. I met um, a, a woman in a, a very rural uh, side of, of the, the, the country. She was actually using her phone to, one, order online um, uh, bulk purchases that would be then through uh, the Internet. She could order and get them delivered. She could pay online. And in her hut of... of, of um, of mud and, and, and grass and very simple circumstances, she had quickly understood the, the, how, how that phone could, could help her. And she used WhatsApp as in groups to basically resell and promote her articles to the neighbors. And, and she had on the back of her phone a very sustainable business. So it's not yet to come. It's already vastly there. And the only gap between the already available technologies and their full-blown applications is actually the human mind and or, shall I say, or not our inability to change, but our very slow ability and appetite for change, which then creates that lag. And when we talk about job creation, when we talk about, it's about like a foundational understanding of how it, it's not about reacting to, to, to the big bad wolf uh, imposed to us by some external world. It's about understanding the beyond the threat, because there is a threat to jobs and so on and so forth. It's about understanding the opportunity. Opportunity to work from is substantially a funnier thing to do than reacting to a threat. 
And then if it creates opportunities, then what does it mean for us today with our um, economy, with uh, the, what we call the, the bottom of the pyramid or the lower elisms, if they have had the ability to very quickly use smartphones, e even though entry-level smartphones, WhatsApp, um, Facebook, uh, e-commerce, and a number of things, then they're absolutely ready. They, they, might, they might not be the, the stars at math and science, like, like, like we have South Africa uh, falling behind as a country on, on these two, two matches, as we know, but, but there's an extraordinary ability to bypass any form of previous structures to, to accelerate things and... and And, and what do we make of that? What, what are the key channels? How do we accelerate um, that lady that I met? How do we create a million of her extremely fast? And I believe we, we can potentially, and happy to unpack a bit more of that as we go along in the conversation. But, but here's my, 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 my difference. I want to differ with you on that point because um, you, you, your, your, your assessment seems to simplify what is very complex because uh, fourth industrial revolution is beyond WhatsApp. Uh, it's beyond just simple messaging. It's beyond, it's beyond Facebook. And those are pretty much peripheral elements of it. Um, we, we need to obviously get the, the language or the narrative slightly higher for us to become competitive because we don't use those kinds of platform um, uh, to be competitive when you compare to other countries. But I, th I suppose I'm trying to say, what are the fundamental traits that we as a country need to leverage on for us to become competitive to a point where we are able to address unemployment because it doesn't matter how many WhatsApp you have. It doesn't matter how many Facebook you have. Um, we still have a bigger proportion of people that are unemployed, which means we have not graduated to a point where substantial number of people are able to take advantage of what the fourth industrial revolution is all about. So far, we are spectators. We are consumers of this uh, phenomenon. I, I want us to, to get, how do we get the bulk people, you know, majority of people leapfrogging to a point where we are able to take advantage, uh, in a similar way, uh, uh as other European countries. Of course, bear in mind that we, we've got two, uh, uh, disjunctures. At one level, we're developed. At the other level, we're not so developed. What's your take on that? Yes. So, It, it's um, so. Let me try to to simplify all of that. So first, I don't think uh, that we need to develop that and to become competitive in a similar way than the Europe or um, or US or, or other more emerged economies. So, so we we have different circumstances. Mm. Let me be. Let me take a very practical example. A friend of mine sits on the uh, presidential initiative for promotion of the fourth industrial revolution. Reached out to me to say, would I help with an initiative to create uh, innovation hubs? And I said, uh, no, um, because I think it's a very wrong idea. Here we are, we're going to put um, uh, in a fancy block of office space in Rosebank or Santon or somewhere else, we're going to do 20 seats. Uh, it's going to cost a number of million rands, uh, and, and we're going to start to, to create and compete with global unicorns and tech startups because isn't it the shiny thing mm. to do and it's glossy and we can uh, appear to be extraordinarily clever on cover of magazines and so on. So the reality is we all know the failure rate of startups, right? So if you, if you put 20 bums on a seat first, they'll have to ideate, they'll have to – so let's say you end up with 10, 10 months um, later with uh, 10 startups, right? 
startups, nine of them will fail. Let's say we've got a great um, success rate, two of them uh, succeed. We know that little startups won't create immediately even dozens of employment, certainly thousands and certainly not millions, right? So, so, and, and doing 10 uh, innovation hubs is, is again super fancy. It, it sounds like we're doing the right thing, but it's not helpful, I think, in any way, shape or form. Maybe the right thing to do, and, and the, the second thing we, we start doing is to say, oh, big business should help, right? And, and, and then we go knock on the door. And, and they're supposed to save the world. We, we all know, and the statistics are there, that big business doesn't create jobs. Big business is an extraordinarily efficient machine because if it wasn't, it wouldn't survive. And, and, and in hard times, like we have a flat economy currently, they're looking more at efficiency and to put it bluntly, shedding jobs, um, uh, than, than, than creating millions of job opportunities. The problem with large organizations, multinationals, corporations, or even local ones, is that they're very, very ill-suited to be agile, to reinvent themselves fast enough. It's like an oil tanker. An oil tanker has become extraordinarily efficient at going through rough seas at X miles an hour or X knots an hour with all the clogs like, like properly efficiently. Now you, you, you want to put something in there to change the course and you have to deal with a massive inertia. So there as well, it's a very ill-suited thing. And then if we reach out to the banks as a government and say, hey, please, and we take a, a short-term view, please don't shed jobs, we need these jobs, it, we, we're actually accelerating the, sick, the sinking of the Titanic. Um, um, if large banks essentially uh, have 80% of an overhead structures that new banks don't have, and let's even say that they could offer a similarly um, efficient service, as in from your phone and from the comfort of your couch, you, you would bank and all of that. But still, you have an 80-20. If they can't shed 80% of the cost structure, they're dead. And and, and, and patching the Titanic keeps it for, for a few years longer, but, but not necessarily uh, is a sustainable solution. Now, um, now that I've been the advocate of doom and gloom, <laughs> Uh, let's try to see the, the, the positive uh, stint of, of, of that. So you talked about our core needs. These needs are vastly different than the core needs of, of the U.S., Europe, and so on. So, so we, we've, we've got to do for, for millions or dozens of millions of people with basic needs, putting food on the table, going to school, uh, uh, having a meaningful um, and sustainable form of, of putting bread on the table. Uh, all of that is essentially important. Now, how would you do that? You, 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 I think instead of finding the next best shiny tech that has, by the way, also a 99% failure rate, just go on an app store and, and on, on a tech store and 99%, it's not because of the tech is wrong, but be, it, because it's, it doesn't have a validated business model. It's like it would occur so people invest in tech thinking, I've got a bright idea, let's invest in tech, and surely we're going to throw that to the market and everyone is going to be amazed and, and, and we're, it's going to be happy days. It doesn't work like that. But because it's disruptive, because it's new, we think it, it, it abides by different laws. It doesn't. The same law is when we want to put a manufacturing plant uh, before waking up one good morning and saying, hey, I've got a bright idea, let's sell this thing, and then we invest a billion dollars in um, in a manufacturing plant, we're going to first have a marketing plan, see what we can sell at what price, and, and see if, if, if this thing could, could actually fly. To the, I think simply what we need to do is to put on the left-hand side 
a list of all our core needs in the country. So, and I use the term meaningful, sustainable economic activity, uh, uh, which is different than jobs. And and we could have a very theoretical view on on what job is and should it be formalized employment or, or what is the better of the two. But if you speak to me and I'm not eating today, I don't want to have that theoretical conversation with you. I want someone that comes to me and say, hey, you can put food on the table today. As in, I don't know, let me take Uber. We could have a theoretical debate whether an Uber driver is an abused uh, uh, slave of, of capitalism or uh, uh, he could put food on the table today. And, and both would have merits, I said. It probably uh, gives you less security than, than a proper job. Uh, on the other hand, you have a bit more flexibility. But if we move the debate away, if we could have 50 platforms of the like that gives immediate food sustenance and, and economic uh, and, and enabling families to put their, their kids to, to school, that each put, would put 100,000 jobs, that would be extraordinary. Now, how do you do that? So, so for example, let, let, let's talk of townships or rural and, and so on and so forth. We have great needs there. There are organized. We have, though, a, a tissue of uh, community initiatives, platforms and so on who, that are existing. People have been understanding. So, so we know that uh, foreign aid doesn't necessarily work. Huh? So you've got well-intentioned people coming down with a billion-dollar check and saying, oh, well, we're going to put wells here and we're going to do this. We've seen all the failures. And, and I, I don't know the intentions. They were great. Um, uh, but we need to see um, uh, that we need to build on what we have already. Let's take um, school systems, like partnership for partners for this is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. It is now 18 minutes to 7 o'clock. I'm joined in studio by Rake Poitra, who is an MD of Disruptive Lip. Disruptive Lip. Um, before we go into the break, the, the, the conversation that we're having is that what is it that the country needs to be focusing on so that we're able to take advantage of industrial revolution, which for me has to start with the basics. Uh, we can't have a narrative that speaks to disruptive uh, technologies or you know, uh, employment creation when you're, not fix, when you're not fixing education as a, as a point of departure because the, the biggest hurdle, the biggest challenge in this country is the fact that we have created or continue to create generation of job seekers. We are not creating generations of of uh, entrepreneurs, people who want to take advantage of the market and, and, and give us the kind of goodies that we want. Because your your phenomenon of your fourth and last revolution is not going to help. Because firstly, we're not really gearing up people to become self-reliant, getting people to become self-sufficient, you know. So that's probably the first bulk uh, of the biggest challenge that needs to do from a transformation point of view. While we respond to that, I want to take this opportunity to welcome Eric, who's just joined us. Good evening, Eric. How are you? Good evening, Nimrod. Good evening. I don't know how to pronounce your name. I see you. Beautiful. Pleased to meet you, Loic. Okay, great stuff. listening to you on the radio coming here. So, yeah. Okay, great stuff. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Eric. But, like, what's your take on that response? On that, so, on so that I, I fully agree with you. We, 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 so, can we create millions of jobs out of the blue and we need them now? The, the quick answer is no. 
So we've talked about big business, we've talked about government, we've talked, so it doesn't work. So then what works? So first we, we have to, I think, stop um, thinking about jobs, but, but economic systems, and then um, the other alternative is in entrepreneurs. And, and when we think entrepreneurs, we have that glorified idea of the billionaire that's made it, and, but that's one out of a billion, right? So how do we create, if we want to reframe the questions, how do we immediately create millions of micro-entrepreneurs? Okay, and so the quick question is, uh, you, you mentioned education. So can we, in the, if we need these uh, millions of jobs now, can we fix education between now and, and next week, Monday? Well, not necessarily. I can't in, in any way. So therefore, if we reframe again, the question is, how do we create hundreds, uh, hundreds of thousands of micro-entrepreneurs now, as in in the next few months? Can it be done? Let's unpack that for, for, for a minute. So... I was mentioning about um, uh, leveraging what we've got already. So a couple of initiatives come to mind, and I'll take a couple of There are many, many, many examples out there. I'll just take one or two uh, for, for the sake of making the point. One organization is called Partners for Possibility. They've partnered, they've partnered executives with school principals to, in, in like a form of a tandem to help run schools in a, uh, to empower schools, basically, with a little bit of the efficiency and the thought process that comes from the, the business world. Now, school principals have had then uh, a structured positive influence on, on, on the on the on the school, on the teachers, and, and we've seen uh, uh, lovely examples in, in in thousands of schools across the country of things being leveraged bit by bit. But you can understand that that doesn't happen in a, in a day. They, they've worked on that for the last, last ten years. Now, what they've seen is once you've got a pocket in an ecosystem that starts um, um, rising, then 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 it's like uh, other satellites come around it. Now, these students that have uh, graduated come back now to uh, help and create micro-businesses in and around the school. Some of them come to repair the IT in the school. Some other is a plumber or an electrician and will fix the, 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 the some other things in the school. Then the parents see them. They also need some of that, and then the school uh, acts as a catalyst for advertising. The parents start using them, and you've got these micro-enterprises. You leverage on that, for example, another tech platform that does business in a box. Huh? So businesses in a box, it's, it's simply a few tools where you can uh, take the complexity away of running a business. If I can repair bulbs and lamps and electric wires, it doesn't mean I know how to organize payroll and tax and all of that. What if an app could do that and I could just at a push of a button, invoice and, and, and remove 90% of the complexity out of the way? Now, what would that do to my chance of success as a plumber, right? It would tremendously, if I'm a good plumber, but, 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 but if I can, if I don't have to learn how to operate a business because someone does it for me in a box, that's what a tech platform could do. Now, if you accelerate thousands of schools where there's that ecosystem with tens of thousands of existing micro-entrepreneurs that can be accelerated through a couple of tech platforms. Another organization on the back of that brings Wi-Fi in the townships to enable connectivity. Yeah, can I just interject there, like, um, you know, these are obviously brilliant ideas, um, but the reality is that uh, we have not seen the needle of unemployment or we have never seen the, the needle of economic growth moving an inch. Okay, I want I want Eric to come through here with all these beautiful 
uh, initiative. We have had yes, COSIO's initiative, partners, uh, you know, for possibilities. We don't seem to crack it. That's the bottom line. What is missing? So if you talk about uh, grants and learnerships and so on and so forth, I've been in large organizations. We, we're using all of that. You're still, you're not creating jobs essentially. So, so if I was um, using several thousands of security guards, the services of them as employees in my organization, all the learnerships we're doing, it, it wasn't creating new jobs. It was jumping the queue, right? So you have existing trained security employees that are there. I was going to employ them, but now we had an incentive uh, to chip in and, and get some grants and then to try to educate others. Uh, which is awesome. Now we have more uh, security employees in the labor market. Did that create jobs? Absolutely not. It would have if you had had then a framework to create micro-entrepreneur security businesses. But now there's a complexity to opening and running and so on and a security business, red tape um, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so all these initiatives are helping to jump the queue to cater for the existing pools of jobs. Does it create actually new, jo- new jobs? No, you'd have to bring avenue. We need um, we, we need hard currencies in the country, right, to, to have a positive trade balance and, and so on and so forth. What about crea- – you have these large platforms like the freelancers.com, the Fiverr, that where anyone with an Internet connection and an ability to use computing skills could connect and provide IT services to a, a global audience. Now, when that works and we, when you enable that, you create 100,000 micro-entrepreneurs – um, uh, that will create uh, economic sustenance. All these guys that were trying to make both end meets in, in, the, in the informal economy are now in the formal economy that then has a, a, a positive ripple effect on SARS and so on. But then I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and say, you know, like, you know, your assessment is beautiful, but it's very simplistic. Perhaps maybe uh, yeah. Eric can come in because the biggest challenge is, yeah. you know, if we if we're able to to leverage on 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 tech to create sustainable job or to create these volumes that we need, programs such as yes, programs such as um, partnership for possibilities, the CEOs initiatives could have gone lip, could have slightly shifted the needle, you know. I want us to think differently. What is missing for for all these mega initiatives? With all, you know, brilliant people, very smart people who have got the, 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 the palms on the hand in terms of understanding what is happening. But we don't seem to crack it. Eric. Thanks, Loic. Um, I'm very excited with your thinking. And I'd like to uh, maybe think of uh, one or two case studies that we know that are success stories. Uh, so the one that comes to mind um, is, say, Amazon. Okay, or for that matter, Alibaba or Take a Lot. There you've got an existing ecosystem of e-commerce which has got access to market where money is being made. Now, take as a job creating sector in the economy, it's a big job creator. I think we've mentioned, I've mentioned before that in Cape Town, in South Africa, there are over 2,000 people working for, for, for Amazon. What are they doing? Various aspects of the ecosystem as well as and 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 this and and i'm not that familiar with the american market and with the european market but i understand that a huge number of jobs or or businesses are running through as a supply um access to market platform through amazon so there's a platform an existing platform which is 
created a business model which works and which has endless possibilities in terms of what you can provide on and offer on Amazon.com or Alibaba or, or, or take a lot. So if I may put that into the discussion as, 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 as an, as, as an ecosystem that actually works, that generates money, that has people coming onto it all the time. And that what we really, really then need to do is to educate and train thousands, if not millions of potential entrepreneurs to how to sell something on take a lot. What do you need to do to do that? Because the core of a business is your product and your market and getting to market cheaply. And here you've got a platform. So if we could design through all of those e-commerce platforms some kind of a way to reach the schools, to reach the townships, and to then tap in to the kind of um, needs you were talking about that are potential uh, you know, uh, uh, business, uh, uh, viable businesses. I mean, you can't satisfy all needs in the country. What you can do is see where there are needs that can be serviced online and that actually have people have got the money to pay. So I don't know what your thoughts about that are. Uh, you know, to make it more practical and something that could move the needle. That, that, that for me, um, I mean, I think you hit it in a nail. Yes. In that, um, I don't think Perhaps maybe as South Africa, uh, we have been able to leverage on e-commerce platforms and the extent to which we can massify all the, the appreciation of this platform um, and, and, you know, let it penetrate wider in communities sure. so that people are able to see the benefit. Perhaps maybe that's a very good starting point, Eric. Mm. How do you get this uh, tried and tested platforms to a wider community so that people understand the benefit wouldn't that be a, 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 a starting point for you, like? So I think we need to Africanize the model. Um, what I mean by that is that all needs are a bit different. So essentially, a, a, and there are pros and cons, and there are very sure. good ideas into yes. it. But, but an Amazon works in an economy like the US and Europe. What's the, what's the, we will play, we will pay a premium on the delivery. If I buy uh, something at a hundred dollars, then I'll pay five dollars more for the delivery. The premise is convenience. So I don't have the time. I lead a busy life. So I'll happily pay the five dollars because I don't have the time, but I have the five dollars to have it at my door. In Africa, We've got time, and we don't have necessarily the $5, unless if we speak for a little niche of the population. If we speak for the masses, they'll happily walk and go to the shop because they have the time rather than spend the $5. And that's why a Jumia, for example, which is the, the Africa version of, of an Amazon, is struggling and, and, and spending billions of dollars into trying to create the supply and the demand. When we did a similar case in East Africa, we said we need to offer not the luxury items, but we need to offer the basic items, bypassing current routes to market, to offer convenience uh, at, at the, at the uh, last point of delivery, last mile, at the kiosks, like in Nairobi. And that needs to be at a lower price, like an Uber offer. You get more convenience for a lower price and not that plus delivery price. So, so we need to rethink it. It needs to abide by the law of business to make sense to, and to cater for the current needs here. A proper thing then that we do, um, and, and so you have the emergence of foot soldier in India. You have hundreds of thousand people on the street corners waiting for a piece of a job. So, and they leverage that for the last mine delivery. 
They have little bags, and they pay for the matatu or the taxi ride, and plus something for a meal and a bit of extra money, and they go do the delivery. It's not a formalized employment, but it puts for hundreds of thousands food on the table every day. There's Sandy in, in Nairobi that does a similar and pr- provides a fleet of vehicle and, and little motorbikes and, and so on that does the same. So how does a twisted Amazon into answering local basic needs, not for the 1% at the top, uh, but for the 99% at the bottom uh, in rural and, and, and communities, and how do we then within the same communities enable the last mile delivery to create meaningful forms of not jobs but um, um, economic sustenance? So these models need to be rethought and, and, and leapfrogged, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's what I like about your thoughts, Eric. Uh, thank you for that. I, I'd like to challenge you a bit there, like just to, to think out the box a bit. Instead of thinking only, and I agree with you, the basic local needs are important, and local service providers who part of the logistics and fulfillment uh, process, I would I would rather, you know, also want to think about um, the, the amazing access that, that the Internet and e-commerce gives us to international markets and start training a generation of African, South African youngsters through the school system of which there are 10 to 15 million kids at school in how and what is needed, what you can offer on Take a lot or any other platform for delivery in America and delivery in Europe and delivery in China. You know, an African curio thing, for example, you know, after arts and crafts or whatever else that is unique. And if we begin thinking like you introduced your whole pitch here about out the box, about opportunity, seeking opportunity. By the way, I think uh, um, the president mentioned in a speech the other day that we need to generate a, 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 a generation of job creators, of course. not job seekers. So I, I think I don't know what your take is on, you know, getting our youth and the only, you know, one of the, the, the constraints people might mention is lack of IT skills. And I take exception and I heard you coming here saying, you know, all you need is access to WhatsApp, Facebook, mm. the Internet. And I believe that our youth throughout Africa are actually tech savvy. They've got it right now. They're born into it at a young age. My twin granddaughters of 18 months are already fascinated with the, with the cell phone, with the smartphone. So, you know, let's not put the obstacles in the way. I don't know what your thoughts are uh, um, on accessing international markets mm-hmm. that way. That's really a growth driver. Mm-hmm. When you crack it in, in, you know, on Amazon, what's to stop people you know, offering, making offerings onto Amazon. You've got to go through their system, but anything viable will be except meets their criteria. That's what we should be thinking about. Okay. As a wrapping up, uh, Lloyd, can you just quickly respond to that? Yeah, I've got a great anecdote of a friend in Indonesia that yeah. was posting stuff on, he was copying on Amazon what he thought people were wanting. Yes. He was selling it. Yes. Uh, with 60 days delivery, when he had enough of a sale, he would then order in China and have it delivered by Simplify and, and other platforms that would do that. And many people no, do that. No, that, that's, that's awesome. I think 1% of our population can do that. Uh, uh, now, how do we get the rest of the 99%? I'll just 
take the example of Maharishi Institute, mm-hmm. that first they, they give a foundation. Before they learn about tech and different things, they have a foundation. So when someone hasn't eaten, has had subject to violence and rape and different things, they rebuild the person through meditation. The first year is about the foundational because the piece of tech in that person's hands, that person, the mind is not ready. They, they've got life issues to process. So the foundational thing. Then there's a new university that started in Kigali that says, no, you come after, after that tech program, you come with an idea. And you'll do a master's in business or whatever, but it'll be at the same time an accelerator. And be it as simple as a micro idea on Amazon or something a little bit more complex, doesn't matter. They'll start training people to do that. Now, if you've got 10% of your population that can go through university, let's do that. That's a second solution. Now, for the masses, what about, again, the foot soldiers that could deliver immediately and have you work wh- from where you are through tiers? Because putting people now to university and prepare them for university and new universities that are on a bit of a different framework will take 10 years, right? So what do we do now to put food on the table of hundreds of thousands? And it's uh, moving the needle step by step in these models. So, so it's leveraging the local communities and local platforms uh, uh, that will create the masses of meaningful, sustainable form of economic activity that will move quite a bit of the informal into the formal economy with all the benefits thereof. And then you build on. And and those that can immediately do the Amazon thing, which might be 1% of it, they must do that. They, they should go for that. And and then how do we get the next 20% there? So, so there's like a, a several-tiered process. But what I see in most of the YES programs and different things in, um, um, is that grants and learnerships are supposed to feed the current job market, not expanding it. And that's wrong. So I would definitely agree to the thought of the entrepreneurship, of the micro-entrepreneurship uh, uh, by, by the by the millions. Okay, Eric, as, as your parting shot. Um, just the, another idea to think about and maybe follow up in a further conversation is the um, enterprise and supply development ecosystem within the country, uh, which can combine together with this tech-oriented entrepreneurs, micro-entrepreneurs, in terms of hooking up entrepreneurs with corporate customers in terms of what they need, so that we actually create a, a, a longer-term sustainability to that enterprise and supplier development space. I don't know in, if you've got an immediate reaction to that, but I'd love to chat to you about that further. A, a quick reaction is that 80% of the cur- co- current corporations will be dead within the next 10 years. <laughs> so feeding them and counting on them again is not, not maybe yeah, the, the way bypassing them. Should should be the the, the right <laughs> okay, disrupting them. Sure, Look, what a yeah. pleasure. Thank you. Well, Thanks unfortunately, you're going to have to leave it there. Lloyd, thank, thank you very much for your insight. I thoroughly enjoyed um, the conversation. As, as always, um, um, Eric Stillman, um, your insight is quite invaluable. Um, and I, I think you know we we would have done a lot of justice had we had time because this is a very complex issue and there are no quick there are no easy solutions we we are seem to be pointing to the right directions and we need to have more and more of these kind of conversations because the idea is to build the idea is to provide solutions which the country can take forward to address the unemployment because that's the biggest issue and i like what you just said earlier by 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 reflecting on how 
schools in particular can be exposed to a wide range of e-commerce uh, technologies, uh, not for the local market, but we need to get kids, learners, you know, f- at the early age to have a wider picture of the region, the continent as the market, mm. not only South Africa, but a worldwide market. Mm. But that requires a bit of trading. That requires a bit of conscientizing communities about the world and and, and 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 its possibilities and technology from a four hour point of view is the best route. But however it starts with the basics. We've we've already got the the communication side of things, but let's not get to entrepreneurial side of things. Unfortunately we're gonna have to leave it there. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh and thanks for tuning in. Until we meet again, good evening and good night.